On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey there, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios, Jay West, Texas Leeson. Glad that you're tuning in, you're telling friends, you hang out here on the other side. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. See your best location in the Hub City, your here you're visiting at racerwash.com i have a lot of people say i went through racer car wash i'm glad i did and i'm glad that you do uh, based on the recommendation of this program and on this program ahead we have erica greeter a columnist with the houston chronicle who's going to chime in daniel the millennial digital guru in studio with us right now is we uh, chime along. You want to say hello to everybody, Daniel? Hashtag um. You got quite a following there. Yeah. Um, uh, tell you what's going on. Going to be on Talking Points with Brian Mudd this Sunday. You can catch it everythinglubbock.com if you miss it live. Be up about uh, 2 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time there on the website or you can catch it live if you're listening in the rural metropolis of lubbock 11:30 on sunday morning 11:05 p.m central standard time and uh gonna just start off by this um we're giving away two texas tech tickets if you're listening you can call in 806-745-5800 and you can beg for tickets or you can just go to our facebook page and you don't have to beg all you got to do is share and say that you shared there on our facebook page other side of texas and be entered in to win two tickets for lower bowl tickets oh good that's good uh for the game there on saturday 5 p.m going to announce a winner in the morning at 8 a.m you can go share that or you can call in the program extra points if you call in the program 806-745-5800 to be a part of that giveaway also want to start lieutenant governor has 48 hours to apologize to me for saying that Kel Seliger came on this program and denunciated Republicans by name. He has oh. 48 hours. You listen to all the audio on this program, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, I do. Have you, in the handful of times Kel Seliger's been on this program, have you ever heard him? I've never heard anything like mention that. Mention Republicans by name. I don't even think that would be a good idea, and I think... Uh, Mr. Seliger is a pretty smart guy, so uh, yeah. It's I, senator to you. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. But he's never even done that. No, I think that's but completely. He says in the Dallas Morning up. News insinuates that he's come on this program and said as much. Oh, really? You know, 
the lieutenant governor really likes the headlines. So he he's searching for uh, some prestige and attention. So that's why I think he's doing that. Yeah. Uh, I've got a big column coming up, a deep dive into the lieutenant governor versus Kel Seliger. Kel Seliger versus the lieutenant governor on Sunday in the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and Amarillo Globe News. Uh, Daniel, you are in studio. Here's what yeah. we're going to get into. We're going to have Erica Greeter here in just a few minutes. But... Um, we're going to get into how to run a good podcast. I think uh, oh, a lot yeah. of people have been taken aback by how successful the podcast has been on the program. And for people who may be listening who want to launch their own podcast, maybe we can give some tips yeah. on how to do that. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, that's actually one of my main form of uh, businesses. So y'all guys can find me online, You know, search out... Uh, IV ADP and uh, rent some studio time and I'll help you get your podcast up and running. Yeah. That's something you're looking for. If you're in Lubbock or you right. can just listen to general tips with us. Right, right. That too. So, so I, I had to plug myself for a second. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, a guy's got to do what he's got to do. Yeah, uh, thanks. Before we get Greeter on, uh, we were talking before the show about what a bad idea YouTube is. Oh, man. For, for little kids. For little kids, definitely. One, uh, I would say that the programming isn't regulated. So, I mean, there's some creepy stuff out there. And, uh, you know, there are FCC laws about um, what you can advertise to children, you know, on broadcast. And um, YouTube isn't really regulating that. And it has a lot to do with their psychological development and uh, how susceptible children are to advertising. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. And then another aspect of it is uh, the uh, I think YouTube has a, a problem with pedophiles right now. and A pedophile problem. Yeah. And, you know, like, I'm, I don't have children. Uh, this is, am I breaking news right now? I think for a lot of people you are. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a vulnerable place. You give your kid the, the cell phone or the iPad. And like I said, I don't have children, so I'm not really in a, a you know, place to give advice or anything like that. But and you don't watch them. But what happens is these people are live streaming. They have fake accounts and they're communicating and they're typing stuff like, hey, turn your webcam on. Hey, what pants are you wearing? What kind of shoes do you have on? And, you know, it's grooming-type behavior. Mm. And, you know, I've seen some pretty uh, alarming stuff what online. What about Kids Tube, though? Kids Tube? What is that? Uh, that? I guess that's the YouTube Kids. That's what we let our kids really? have access to is Kids Tube. See, I'm just uh, I'm a little like... Because if you come on here and you tell me yeah, out in these radio streets that on kids tube they're also grooming kids then i'm gonna lose my mind see i don't know very much about that i just saw that i saw an article or two that were saying hey you know what there's some weird stuff happening and youtube has trouble policing those things because it's algorithm based they don't have real people policing so you know there's a lot of things that the algorithm doesn't check that would be inappropriate 
So, uh, you know, if you give your kid a cell phone, you know, keep in mind there's a camera on there. There's a mic on there. And uh, kids don't know, you know. Yeah. If a stranger's talking to them. But we're going to get into what makes up a good podcast. Yeah, yeah. Let's change the mood a little bit. (laughs) After Erica Greeter, we're going to give some tips to the folks at home. Yeah. About what makes up a good podcast. You and I are going to have a good conversation about that. But first, we're going to get into Erica Greeter coming up on the other side of the other side about two minutes from now. Stick right with us. We'll get Erica Greeter on the phone and have a great conversation with her about the wall. The wall in San Antonio? In San Antonio. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a big one. And Texas legislature, Seliger, the whole thing. See you right back here on the other side of Texas. Title1.com. There yeah. he is. Daniel, wait, wait to sell some ads there, buddy. Uh, go out to the phone lines. We have one of our favorites. What, I would argue the smartest mind in Texas. She is Erica Greeter of the Houston Chronicle. Welcome her into the program. Erica Greeter, how are you doing? Hey, Jay. How are you? I'm glad that you're here. We got Dan- to be back on the show. Daniel, the digital millennial guru. Hi, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Just, uh, you know. His mood doesn't shift very much. Yeah, it's pretty He's much just... He's burned out, so I can, I can relate to this. Okay, cool. You're poor, too, right? Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Greeter! I'm glad that you're back here with us. Have some people protesting. We ought to have you on every week. Uh, I saw that. I'd be happy to. Let's, let's do it. Let's yeah. make it happen. Erica Greeter. So, hey, you know, Jay, can I tell you a fact that I learned about my dog? You know, I thought my dog was from Lubbock, but actually he's from Hale Center. Oh. Oh. Isn't that, isn't that quite a coincidence? Did you call him Laney? I should have called him Laney. I, I, he came with the name Splinter, which is kind of a hard word for me to say. Um, so maybe I'll start nicknaming him Laney. Yeah, okay. the appropriate tribute. Somewhere between Splinter and Laney. Yeah. Splaney. Yeah. Splaney. <laughs> so did he just, like, show up at your house, and that's how you know where he's from? Or? No. He was a, he was a hand-me-down. He's oh, kind of okay. passed around through some family friends. He's, he's a good boy. He's got that sort of, uh, that calf rock ethos to him. Oh, right on. Greeter yeah. watches too many of those adopt-a-dogs on Facebook. Is that, <laughs> is that how that happened? No, we use Instagram, Jay. We're millennials. All right. <laughs> no. Yeah, I need to get on the Instagram. You should. You should. You know, I saw this post online the other day, and there was this photo, right? And there was a couple photos of this dog in the house, and, and it was in a, a message chat. And uh, it was like, oh, no, baby, that's not a dog. That's a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. So. Yeah. Uh, Erica, let's get into what we get into here. Let's uh do it. You write Houston Chronicle. You're a big name across the state. Um, I would argue that urbans and rurals have more in common at this point than they've had in some time. I almost want to say a century with school finance reform, with uh, uh, standing together with property tax against what I would call property tax reform. Uh, mm-hmm. But we can get into the weeds here. Am I wrong that rurals and urbans, and I'm excluding these suburbans here, mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. more in common interests than we've had in some time? I, I completely agree with you. I think it's been a really interesting dynamic to watch emerge over the past few years, both 
both, uh, I think at the national level too, but really at the state levels where it's popped because of these suburbanites sort of, I, mean, I, I think that you've seen this sort of suburban inflection in state leadership, right? So in addition to the sort of common interest and common cause that urbans and rurals have found, there's a sort of common disinterest in the theater, the things like bathroom bills and so on, um, that, that I think is sort of helping unite urbans and rurals in opposition to the suburbanite factions that are sort of focused on those issues at the exclusion of the ones that, you know, we care about. Yeah. So let's get into public education. And yes, what a I'm in favor of it. That is, yeah, well, what a factor <laughs> that is <laughs> on the urban front and uh, in and I can chime in on the rural front. Okay. Well, certainly it's been, you know, it's, it's a foundational issue for uh, urban voters, really, of either party. You know, it's the sort of building block of society. It's been sort of cast, cast as a democratic priority, but if you think about the historical antecedents of the state's commitment to public education, the fact that it's in our Constitution as a state, which is from 1876, I mean, this is a conservative, small-c conservative priority. Uh, public education has always been seen as what empowers the citizenry to be free. Um a free citizenry is an educated, an educated citizenry is a free citizenry, um, and so that's why it's really the only public sector service that the government of Texas, as a state, is required to make provision for, and for it to be sufficient provision uh, for the effects that we're seeking to see as a state. Um, and certainly in an urban environment, I mean, you see that it's a it's a complex task given the number of students, the complexity of the uh, the ecosystem more generally. But it's it's definitely a priority that emerges when you talk to. Uh, and any voter, regardless of their age, their demographic, you see young families, working families, older people, business people. I mean, we all have a stake in the outcomes here. Yeah, and, and this has been my argument, Erica, is mm-hmm. that as the urbans have trended more democratic, that whenever we go in and we look at public education, recaptures a big issue, mm-hmm. but. <clears throat> I, I don't mean to grease the wheels or hit the brakes <laughs> on anything out there, but my problem is this, that whenever we begin to talk about property tax caps mm-hmm. and setting up, I think what we're going to see play out in the legislature, and I'd love to hear you talk about this, is a two-tier system where rurals are carved out from a property tax cap system and then urbans or not then that sets up a two-tier system and i wonder is there enough muster in the texas house especially to say okay if we're gonna have a two-tier system on property tax then we're gonna have a two-tier system on recapture we're gonna have a two-tier system on sales tax disbursement do you think that's a real possibility something that could hang over the heads of rural republicans that you know if you guys go in and you carve yourselves out and make us uh, as urbans uh, susceptible to this then you're going to have a problem on a couple of other fronts it's something i would worry about for sure if that's the outcome because if you think about it i mean as soon as you start talking about a two-tiered system i I start thinking about that bringing rurals kind of under the um that that compromising their ability to control their own outcomes, right? I mean, if if there's a if, if they're being treated differentially, if you're being treated differentially as a general matter, then you have to think about the people who are treating you differentially and what kind of power that gives them over you to uh, if, if you're reliant on them for your provision, right? Um, 
With that said, I mean, I, I guess I'd take a step back, I mean, ask you more generally, you've been following the session thus far, it's been going on for about three weeks now, two weeks? Yeah, I think we're about 120 days to 140 days in. <laughs> right. that feels no, I mean, we're about 20 <laughs> days in. Yeah. Okay, ahead. yeah, so three weeks. Right. So um, what's your impression of the House thus far? I mean, we can talk about the Senate for, I'm sure, quite a long time. Maybe we shouldn't do it today. But um, how, have you, how have you felt about how the House seems to be functioning thus far? Uh, it seems to be falling in line with Bonin. But, you know, here's my thing with Dennis Bonin is that it seems to me that the folks who fought Bonin on property tax caps mm-hmm. uh, didn't get very good uh, appointments this session. Um, that bodes towards the way of the the House Speaker making a deal with Lieutenant Governor and the Governor on pro- property tax caps. As I look at, like, let's say, a Drew Darby who fought mm-hmm. back against uh, Dennis Bonin, then the chair of uh, Ways and Means, fighting back against him on property tax caps. It seems like the House is in favor of making a deal there. Well, it's interesting because you know, with, with Chairman Darby, he had um, he'd also fought with Bonin. I mean, they were sort of rivals for speakership of the House in the first place, right? So, yeah, I I, I would think maybe their fight over property tax caps would be sort of a proxy for their their. They're jostling for position in leadership of the House in the subsequent session. Because even going back to 17, when you had Strauss having announced his retirement or his retirement being perhaps anticipated, you would have had some tension between those two who are both highly positioned and you know well positioned to to be speaker and eventually emerge as the sort of final two or strongest two speaker candidates. So looking at Darby's assignments this session, I wouldn't assume that it's because of an ideological dispute or or even a personal dispute. I would just assume that it's because Darby. You know, was was definitely not part of Team Bonin in the speaker's race. Yeah, does that make sense? Well, but I'm going back to the antecedent of that. Just repeating your term there, mm-hmm. and I think where that all cropped up was uh, Drew Darby foiling the soon-to-be speaker's stance on property tax caps. Oh, I see. That's interesting. And so do you interpret Bonin's stance, though, from what I'm hearing you say, do you interpret his stance as sort of having been informed by uh, a, a tacit deal or a sort of private conversation he had made with the lieutenant governor and governor's offices, that this is sort of the stance we're going to I think that one could make that that case. That's the okay. way I'll put it, yeah, politically I could, I could, speaking. I could, I could see that. And it's been interesting with, with Bonin, you know, I... Um, he was a sort of low-key player in the House last session, and that's surprising because the House was in such a sort of, it was such an anguished session for the House in particular um, in 2017, and Bonin, you know, is such an institutionalist, and he really cares about the House, even before he was a member of the House, and he's been a member for 20-some years. He was, uh, he had a, he had like a, a job when he was in college working in the House as a sergeant, so I mean, he really is committed to the institution, and for him to have sort of been so low-profile in 17 in particular kind of struck me as a sign that he was already positioning himself to be its next speaker. And so I think we're seeing that kind of persist into the speakership that I, I have a, you know enormous confidence in Bonin, in his intelligence, in his leadership, in his emotional intelligence too, his ability to work with members and to kind of understand where they're coming from and his ability to sort of uh, build relationships with them and to uh, put the best interest of the House first. But there is this sort of um, performative dimension with Bonin where you're not seeing him say explicitly certain things that I, I look at him doing and I think, okay, there's some sort of subtext there that he's not going to explicitly say 
what he really thinks. But it, and therefore, you know, as people who observe the ledge, we can't extrapolate that he does think that. We can just infer from the pattern of behavior. Yeah, Eric Greeter, columnist with the Houston Chronicle, with us on the show. A smart Friday for you, and if you're shaving on Saturday or Sunday or wherever you're listening to, because Daniel, oh. people listen on the podcast. Oh yeah, on the weekends they definitely do. That's, Sunday is our biggest day. Yeah. Oh so, really? That's interesting. While yeah. people are mowing the yards or doing whatever. oh yeah, over drives, yeah. Yeah, whatever they might be doing, wherever you're listening to Erica Greeter, thank you for tuning in. The other side of Texas, as we roll along, um, Erica, I, as you know, voted for the, the president in the primary, the Republican mm-hmm. primary, mm-hmm. and then in the general. But there are only there's only so far that I can cover up i want to say or try to make do with what the president has said he made a comment and said that uh, san antonio and that wall is held up Uh, what in the world you've written about this what in the world is he talking about Uh, you know and i'm from san antonio so this one kind of kind of kind of slung my pride a little bit but um i i think you know occam's razor was the jest he meant to say san diego but yeah that's the kind of error of oh he meant to but, say San Diego. Well, but this gets to a bigger issue, I, I think, which for me with this president, which is that he seems to have apparently no idea. Like he doesn't know anything about Texas, right? I mean, he and you know he's from New York. I so said he's a New York real estate developer. He didn't have major real estate developments. He, I don't think he had any real estate developments in in the state over the course of his long career in public life. So you wouldn't necessarily expect a New Yorker to kind of intuitively grasp Texas geography. He probably hadn't been to Laredo before he became a candidate for president. He hadn't been to San Antonio, I don't think. So, you know, and he hadn't been really to San Diego that much either. However, at this point, he is the president. He's the president who's made border security his top priority. He's been talking about this wall, this border wall, continuously for four years without really clarifying. I mean, even today he said, we're not talking about a 2,000-mile concrete wall from sea to shining sea. But, I mean, when you look at what he said over the years, it does feel like he's talking about that more often than not. So that was just sort of a... A Freudian slip, I guess, but it was one that kind of points to, you know, I, I've, I've never in my entire life, I'm a very bad speaker, I'm very disfluent, but I don't accidentally confuse San Diego and San Antonio. They're different cities. They're <laughs> completely different. Different states, named after uh, different saints. I mean, it's, it's just, they're, they're not that similar. So to kind of have the sort of, you're reaching for a reference point to a wall, and in the San Diego sector, there is a wall, right? It's sort of a short sector of the border. It's densely populated. Uh, it's across the border from Tijuana. So, in, in that kind of urban, densely populated environment, that's where you see a physical barrier like a wall or fencing make sense um, because there's you know a land border and it just kind of helps sort of control traffic flows through the ports of entry and that's where you can prioritize your law enforcement and your customs agents. Um, so he was kind of gesturing at you know the, the charitable version of this is you know he was saying look in San Diego sector uh, the wall works and that's true but like he said San Antonio which is not even close to the border. It's like 150 miles away. Um, and in Laredo, which is the nearest point to the border from San Antonio, uh, there is fencing around the ports of entry, um, but there's not a contiguous wall in the in, in that sector. So that was a bit of a frustrating comment. Yeah. You're giving them grace there that maybe he meant San Diego. Or, and I, had, I had a reader email and say, you know, oh, he meant El Paso, obviously. Um, I was like, well, is that obvious to you? Because, I mean, my... my gracious kind of instinct to see in San Diego. Um, but El Paso doesn't have a contiguous wall either. It has fencing around the port's entry. 
Yeah, I also heard he said the tacos in Austin were better. So, oh, did he say that? that monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome, monster. These insults. <laughs> I think he's an older he's an older president for sure. Did you really hear him say that? I, that's what I heard. I was listening to, to the podcast. On the I can believe that. I can believe that rumor. He's like the tacos in Austin are excellent. Like, I love let me tell you. <laughs> I just, I just like, oh think God. it's unsafe ground on this program at this point for you to mention something that may not be true. Oh, with with <laughs> is public it, figures. Is that clear? satire I think yeah. I, I thought it was clear satire okay good because okay. he, he hasn't sure. heard of Austin either and also I don't think you know when you were on Cinco de Mayo and he ate that taco bowl yeah. I don't think Trump's uh, Trump's not really a taco connoisseur so I I, yeah. I got the satire on that okay cool okay yeah no. I just hopefully I need, I need to make clear, sure <laughs> no it's true it's we don't need clear. people just satire. alienating the program all of a sudden <laughs> but we do need headlines so I will but, I'll yeah. take what I can get yeah. That was good cultural knowledge because, as you know, Jay, this Austin-San Antonio taco thing has been a bit of a dispute because there's people who go to Austin and they like discover tacos and they're like, these are the best tacos ever. And you can find some okay tacos in Austin, but um, really there's not a contest between Austin and San Antonio on no. this front, in my opinion. Yeah, I would have to agree. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so how much heat did you take on the uh, standing up and saying San Antonio's not on the border? San Antonio doesn't have – it has a Wallamo. But doesn't have an alum. It uh, doesn't have a wall. Yeah, I mean there there was a wall around the Alamo in you know 1836, um, which uh, didn't really work. That's right. why I remember the Alamo. I mean there was a six week siege during which the defenders of the Alamo were watching Santa Ana's troops building ladders, which they then used to storm over the walls of the Alamo, and which quickly then fell. Um, I, I received very little heat from that. I think the headline in that column I wrote was San Antonio is not on the border and does not have a wall, which is. Um, True. One of those, one of those headlines you write. And it's like yeah. this sounds so basic, right? But this is really just the the thesis statement of this column is just you know, San Antonio is not on the border. Uh, tariffs are not good. Uh, you know that that kind of column. Uh, there's been more occasion to write those lately. Yeah. So uh, Erica Greeter, Houston Chronicle, with us here, other side of Texas. Uh, what do you have down the pike? What can people tune in to Houston Chronicle? in this part of Texas and look forward to you writing on. Oh, man, you know, I'm so excited for this year. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think the session is going to be good. Um, hopefully they can look forward to me coming back on your show more often if you're if you're willing to invite me back on. Uh, sure. <laughs> today, I would yeah, love to. I, mean, I always love, love having people smarter than me on the program. No, Definitely. Jay. I mean, I love having these talks with you guys. I mean, it's like, this is such a good program. You just, it's use, a great asset you just use the word performative. Yeah. Yeah, but Jay, no, Jay, hold on, though, hold on. I, I came on the show once about a year or two ago, and you used the word hermeneutics. Oh, here we go. Yeah, so I, I was like, what is that? You know. Yeah. Every once in a while, I look up, I ask my buddies, what's a word that you want me to drop on the program? It was pretty, and you just like, he, he blended in so seamlessly, Jay. It was really impressive. Um, but no, I think that, uh, wow, so I mean, I'm so excited. If, I mean, like, what's happening in Harris County government and Fort Bend County government is really interesting. And actually, I think what we can both look forward to, all of us can look forward to is, well, not look forward to per se, but what will be interesting to all of us is, I think, the ongoing um, skirmish or war or battle, I'm not sure what level of conflict it is now, uh, from the state against local control. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a yeah. conceptually rich and, and conflict-laden and you know, topic. And then I always go back to my friend Pete Laney, who said, those Republicans, and there's only one vowel in Republicans, and it's that U between the P and the B. Everything is everything else is like an apostrophe. Those Republicans came up here 25 years ago. 
and they promised local control and term limits. How's that turned out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So that'll be fun one to follow too. But I think we're going to see a good session. I think it'll be a productive session, more so than last session. I think the house is going to be an interesting thing to watch. I'm planning to be up in Austin probably next week for a day or two to you know, you know, say hi. What do you make about uh, Kel Seliger? You, know, you used to cover this <sighs> close to the ground for Texas Monthly whenever we talk about Texas legislature. And this is exactly what I want to ask you. Okay. Eric Greeter. The lieutenant governor has couched this is almost a me too thing. That yeah, and you can't that say so this. Weird. That you cannot say this about a female staffer. And yet Kel Seliger said it. Not only did he say it, he refused to apologize for it. Uh what do you make of what Kel Seliger said and where the things are right now? Well, you know, look, I think what what Senator Seliger said uh was was perhaps a bit salty, but it wasn't lewd. And frankly, for Patrick, I mean, I, I appreciate the same chivalry of this, right? But, like, as a woman who's covered the Senate, who's covered the legislature, Senator Seliger is not somebody who I've ever had to feel... I, I've never been made to feel uncomfortable by him. If I'm interviewing him, I've never been made to feel like he doesn't respect me as a journalist. I've never felt like he's he's not predatory. I mean, he's not one of the men in the legislature. And there are men like this in the legislature from both parties. He's not one of the men that, mm. that I feel mm. that I have to be... You know, wary of meeting in his office one on one. You know, and so to kind of, it it, it but he does. It's almost like a big West Texas storm front. Right. He overcomes you with like this gregariousness, this amicability, and that's. Mm -hmm. I've I've never looked at him from a woman's perspective, obviously, but that's always been my take on Kel Seliger is. This is the happiest warrior around. He's a very effective senator. I mean, he's, he's smart, he's thoughtful, and he also, you know, he kind of emulates a virtue that you and I both see as a virtue, and I assume Daniel does too, or else yeah. he'd probably kick him off your program, but he really votes his district, right? I mean, he really speaks up for his district, and often when he's been sort of ideologically out of kilter with the rest of the Republicans in the Senate, it's because he's articulating a point of view for his district, uh, which wouldn't necessarily be shared by senators from, you know, Collin County or from Montgomery County, right? So, I, I mean, I, I think it's from Patrick's point of view, I'm not really sure what he's trying to do. You now have Seliger, who's a critical 19th vote in the Senate, um, and who has has been, you know, unfairly maligned, wrongly maligned, really, by the lieutenant governor. Um, you also have, I think, in the, in the Senate, as you know, Jay, I stopped covering the Senate in April of 2015. I was just like, there's no point in this. Patrick's micromanaging the Senate, so I really should just go to the House and see what's the happening in the House. The best thing you ever wrote. So <laughs> it, really, it really was. It's, it's all been downhill since then. Um, but it's I true, you know. I didn't say that. You said <laughs> I thought, it. I said it. It's I one of the favorite <laughs> things I've ever read. And so I'm glad they brought Senate. us together, too. <laughs> well, it was true, though. It just felt like, you know, this, this chamber, which we kind of had looked to for years, is sort of, you remember the days of, you know, uh, Senator Bob Duncan in there? I mean, it was a place where you'd go and have, like, thoughtful discussions, and now it's just, there are still people who are thoughtful in the Senate, it, but they're just so disempowered, and it's Republicans and Democrats alike. The ones who are thoughtful are just kind of being squashed by the lieutenant governor, who sort of micromanages them and, and wields them due power. But as far as the, the accusations against Senator Seliger, I can't speak for all women, obviously. Um, but I, I, I think about you know, you know, if, if you're a woman going into as a lobbyist or an advocate or a journalist trying to talk to a chairman of the committee. I mean, Seliger is not somebody who's who's going to put you in a bad position, right? You think about going in to testify to Senator Shortner, for example, right? I mean, he was not fully he wasn't implicated by the investigation that UT did into the the allegations of misconduct against him, but he wasn't cleared either. I think the conclusion was like, well, there's some kind of comms breach from his cell phone, 
which is going to make women uncomfortable if they're testifying for that committee, I think. So yeah. I think that this concern is, is it's, it's a bit, I think, disingenuous on Patrick's part, uh, surprisingly, to <laughs> accuse Seliger of lewdness. If you want to accuse him of, of, of being salty or being, you know, um, it, it, uncivil, perhaps, like, fine. But to couch it as, you know, a, a feminist issue, I, I don't approve of that at all. Which would be more lewd for you, to hear Dan Patrick get a vasectomy on air or for <laughs> you to read Kel Seliger say or hear him say that this female senior advisor can put her lips on my back end? You know what? I mean, if I had to choose, and I hopefully don't ever have to in my life, I would say the former. I've never sought out that audio recording. I don't really want to hear it. Um, but, you know, I mean... Well, I, I've certainly heard men say much, much looter things on the internet on a pretty daily basis, including men who are in in office. So I, very true. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <It's more. laughs> it, you totally like uh, jumped the gun on the uh, Charles uh, Schwinner thing. I was going to bring that up, but you're so quick on it. I would well, say it, yeah. it's not even close to a comparison to bring up the Me Too aspect of uh, him. He, he was so polite and. Uh, and speaking his opinion, but I mean, what even happened with Charles Fortner? You know, I feel like he I, got a pass. I think he did too. And you know, Johnny Sutton, who did the investigation for UT, former U.S. Attorney, and he's really good. And I, I think you know, I trust his judgment. And so I, but you know, actually, and with Shortner, I've never spoken to Shortner directly. And as a columnist, I don't necessarily have to. Um, and I, I can believe that Shortner himself didn't commit the misconduct he was accused of. But we don't know for sure. It hasn't been. I mean, he wasn't on trial, right? So there hasn't right. been a full criminal proceeding. He's not been convicted. He hasn't been indicted or charged with anything. But I will tell you guys, like, I unfollowed Shortner on Twitter because I don't want whoever is using Shortner's phone to, like, go into my direct messages with, like, lewd images. That's true. Um, which is just, I mean, it's, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world if that happened, but, like, I don't need that, and so why would I want to keep following that guy? And so that kind of creates... I, I mean, it has been sort of... Perhaps he should be given a pass, but I feel like there's unresolved questions for women who are now at the legislature who have to talk to the chair of, yeah. of you know, of important committees. Um, well, there's just people online just tearing Seliger apart, you know, due to Dan Patrick's Me Too are appropriation. Because, are they accusing him of being of, of lewdness or of, of yeah, Me Too? Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, I've seen some people say that he should resign. Yeah, which I, I think is really extreme. I think that's silly. I think if the voters in his district have a problem with him, they can take it up with him. I think they could call his office and yell at him if they want to. But to kind of grandstand on Twitter about how lewd... I mean, come on. like Think about things Donald Trump, the president, has said, right? I mean, yeah. it's, what Seliger said is not even on the same page as those things. And that's where, again, I go back to you and I. I mean, I don't want to air things on air, <laughs> but you and I kind of had a falling out over Trump. Well, right. we had a couple arguments, right? But yeah. I, I was still your friend, Jay. <laughs> well, okay, we were still friends, but <laughs> but to be to be Trump's man in Texas, I can even make this distinction. Yeah, to yeah. be Trump's yeah. man in Texas and then make these arguments about Seliger, given oh, yeah. given what the president has said in audio of what he said, yes, it's, and it's then all of a sudden the grandstand yeah. on this is absurd. It's absurd, yeah, I, I agree. And I'm sorry that Senator Seliger's getting a hard time about it. I've never had a bad experience with him. Uh, no, he, Seliger's interview. not giving me any bad time no. about this. I'm t I'm speaking about the lieutenant yeah. governor, who's yeah. lied about this program, by the way, and said that Kel Seliger's come on here and ripped apart Republicans by name. I've given him 48 hours to respond. That's a solid um, 48. 
So, and you have the response. Yeah, when, when is the when is the deadline for the response? Uh, it's going to be here in like forty seven hours now. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah forty seven hours from now. Well, I hope he does respond <laughs> to you. And I'm, I mean, you know, unfortunately, I, I would not be surprised if he does not respond to you. But I, I would hope he does. I sent him an email. I, I sent his uh, his press secretary an email this morning asking if he'd like to talk about the sort of standards for what is lewd in the Senate. I haven't heard back from them yet either. Um, mm. I'll let you know if I do. Um, I mean, it's an interesting discussion, right? To think about how to. I, I think with the Me Too movement more generally, part of the question has always been how do you. What should the consequences be for this kind of offense? But I wouldn't even put Seligers in that category of offense. And then how do you make it productive and, you know, make the legislature, both chambers of it, a space where everyone who's going to advocate, who's going to, you know, speak up for a cause, is going to be heard in a respectful and fair way uh, without feeling, you know, embattled or or endangered um, during the course of their business. She is Erica Greeter. Erica, G-R-I-E-D-E-R, on Twitter, one of my uh, smartest people I know. Appreciate you making oh, time. Oh, likewise. Of course, anytime. Happy to. Daniel, nice to meet you on yeah, the phone. Yeah, nice to meet you, meet you as well. Sometime. Uh, hi, yeah. everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And, and Jay, yeah, I'll uh, hopefully come back soon and talk to you soon and maybe see you in person oh. in this session. Congratulations on the dog from Hell Center. Isn't that great? I love that. I, I knew he was a good dog. You can tell me. <laughs> and <laughs> I it is a dog. Right? <laughs> He's a dog, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Erica, thank you. All right, thank you, guys. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Going to get into a quickie break. Here's what we're going to get into, Daniel, the digital millennial guru. Yes, boss. How to make a great podcast. Okay. A lot of people I'm going to give them the herbs and spices, man. Everybody wants to know how to do a podcast. We're going to get into it as we come back. From the break, gonna take a quickie break and get back in with you right here on the other Shake side. The dirt off your shoes, come over, take a seat. Knock that chill off your bones. Got food on the fire, can I get you some to eat? Make yourself at home, yeah, I'm on the run. I'm looking out, searching for something that I still care about. I'm looking up to the sky. I think at this point, the lieutenant governor has about 47 hours to apologize for saying what he said about the program. I think that's correct, uh, yeah. Put that out there to the lieutenant governor. We, uh, Daniel, the digital millennial guru, in studio with us. So, listeners want to know what programs you use to splice up the program. Because okay. they don't hear live commercials. Right. You go in and you splice up every program, Yeah, working hard, blue-collar, Daniel, the digital millennial guru. I would say I'm less blue-collar than my dad. My dad it's is real blue-collar. But you're sitting there clicking, clicking. Yeah, for sure. The pro- putting the program up every night. Yeah. So... Uh, at least give them, at least give them this trade secret. What program are you using? Well, I would like to pre- why is podcasting so big now? So I think one thing for advertisers, what makes podcasting um, lucrative, is that uh, when I post, I'm, I'm a videographer as well. I've shot commercials for uh, Carpet Tech. I've actually shot a commercial for Racer Car Wash, a bunch of local people. So when I put that ad on social media, it gives me a view count. Sometimes it's 5,000, 10,000, 60,000. But when I go into the analytics, it tells me per three seconds. And I'll look at 10 seconds. I'll look at a minute, a minute and a half. 
the retention rates are really low. So unless you're putting your message in the first three seconds, no one is really seeing that video. And so far as the program is concerned, we get right. really good retention rates. Well, I would say that's people, what... Yeah. Most people, most, dare I say all people, listen the whole hour through. Right. As a marketer, that's what actually has drawn me to uh, podcasting because it's really unusual. You put out an hour-long show and someone's speaking and retention rates are all the way to the end. You have like 50%, 70%. You know, on your show, you average about 75% retention rate, which is, you know, if I'm an advertiser and I'm spending money, do I want to spend $1,500, $2,000, $5,000 on an ad that's going to go on social media that's going to be seen maybe? Or do I want to buy like a two-minute read that goes on a podcast where I know I'm reaching my targeted audience and I'm getting the retention rates? I, I would say that, um, so that's very lucrative. To, I mean, to me, as a marketer, as someone that sells ads, like, I think that's valuable for businesses. So the program, I guess that's a kind of weird transition, but the program that I use, I use like a handful of them. But so if I'm just cutting a podcast, I'm using Adobe Audition. It's fast. It's pretty lightweight. I just go in. I just cut it and then I'll render it out. Upload it onto Dropbox, SoundCloud, all that stuff. If I'm recording a podcast, um, I use uh, Adobe, uh, no, Ableton Live. And that program is probably not as well known for older, like, audio engineers. A lot of them use Pro Tools, and I'm sort of trained on Pro Tools, but... Um, I'm kind of a, a younger generation, so uh, Ableton Live is something that I've just used for since 2012, so oh, like almost seven years now, and uh, it's excellent. Um, I can, you know, live hit spots, I can sequence things, it's high quality audio, uh, renders out, um, you know, 40... Yeah, forty, forty-one, or forty-eight. You know, high resolution. So th those are the programs that I use. And if you are an organization that is looking to podcast, I would say you know get a mixer, get an audio interface, a decent laptop, and uh, you, you know if you have the Adobe Suite, you could definitely use Audition to record. Or you could do what? Or you could reach out to me, and uh, I could set up at your place. I mean, just record. It's really painless. Or you can come to my home studio, and we can record there. There he goes. Daniel, the digital millennial guru. I didn't know I was going to get, like, a 15-minute ad. Well, it's not really an ad. It's just, yeah. I think a lot of people are interested. Uh, I see a lot of people who are like... I want to do a podcast. Well, yeah. how do they do it? So. Well, like, how do you, One thing that's interesting to me, and uh, I did a podcast in 2012. Well, hold on. Because uh, it's been surprising to me yeah. that the podcast is the main thrust of the program. Right. Um, here, and, you know, it's, it's an AM station, and a lot of people don't have time to catch it, but they'll catch it later and then send me comments on it. And 
they'll listen on SoundCloud or Anchor or wherever they will. That seems to me to be the main thrust of the program right now. Yeah, that is strange. Uh, I think it is strange right I mean, now. I, a how lot it's... of people listen live. For sure. And hello. Based on the names uh, or based on the numbers that we get, if as many people are listening live as who listen to the podcast, then we're doing really well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wish there were some numbers on what we're doing live. Because the station where we're broadcasting does not do any sort of... don't doesn't subscribe to any sort of ratings. So yeah, we, as we far as know. we know. Yeah. 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 Um, podcasting Closing is... Closing thoughts. Okay. I would say that uh, podcasting is the new blogging. If you have a story... What's really interesting, Can you can do five episodes, but can you do a year's worth of episodes? So that's something to really think about, is like the sustainability of growing an audience. Can you grow one over a space of a year? Mm. You know, it's kind of hard to do. Yeah. Daniel, the digital millennial guru, thank you for your time, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jay. Appreciate you coming on. My mom, I just want her to be intrigued that Daniel is a real person. And comes up with all sorts of stuff during the program from time to time. Yeah. And uh, for Erica Greeter, Houston Chronicle, great interview with her. This will all be up on the podcast. If you aren't already listening to the podcast, Daniel will be taking care of that tonight. Until next time, i got to get home, going to get home. Great family, above average dinner. Great weekend coming up. Charlie and I are going to shoot our first YouTube uh toy no way yeah you're probably gonna oh i'm doing that okay all right some of this and uh we're gonna do our first toy review because he watches these did you hear about that kid that's like making 20 million doing that yeah i did that's why charlie's gonna be doing oh heck yeah let's get some of that cash (laughs) uh we're gonna get out of here appreciate you listening all as always appreciate you um treating our sponsors well and you making the program what it is going to get out of here bud kennedy on monday coming up and a good week of programs coming up for you next week here on the program rave on buddies rave on we'll see you right here next time from the studios where buddy holly became famous am 580 lubbock